listening to Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and our current sermon series is called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Here's a hint, it's Jesus. This series examines the stories of Jesus dining with friends and foes and everyone in between to learn about how God meets us how Jesus uh, embodied and practiced hospitality in unexpected ways, and how we perhaps can meet others through the power of a shared meal, a shared word, and a shared vision of a new kind of community and belonging. Here's this week's message. first scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through 14. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed you were concerned for me but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. May God add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of this word. One of those verses that Nancy just read for us, uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's perhaps one you might have heard before or seen referred to by its location, Philippians 4.13. It's a favorite of particularly of athletes and professional athletes. You will often see Uh, Philippians 4.13 or Phil 4.13 written on athletic tape or tattooed on their bodies somewhere. Uh, This this phrase, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a very muscular phrase. But I think it's important to note its context in those verses. This is in the context of Paul remarking about how good it feels that the church in the ancient Roman city of Philippi remembered him and sent a letter to him to reach out to him while he is in captivity in in a Roman prison. Paul is in jail, a place he often found himself. And in those days, jail was not a place where you could expect to be warm or well-fed or very safe. And yet in that moment, Paul celebrates and remembers the kindness of the church, the fact that they remembered him. And he penned those words, that whether I am well-fed or hungry, I am content, for Christ is my strength. These words echo those of the book of Lamentations that say, The Lord is my portion and my inheritance, therefore I have hope. Our gospel reading this morning comes to us from Luke's gospel. uh, And it's also a story about hope in the midst of hunger. We're in the midst of a sermon series here called Guess Who's Coming to Dinner?, which is a series of sermons drawn from Luke's gospel and the many moments when Jesus, the Son of Man, comes eating and drinking. Uh, 
And today we come to perhaps the most famous shared meal in all of Jesus' life. So let's continue to listen for God's word for us here this morning. Luke 9, 10 to 17. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all the things they had done. He took them with him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. But when the crowds found out about it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close, and the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to lodge and get provisions. We are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and made them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he blessed and he broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled. And what was left over was gathered up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Come now, God, to... Bless these words that I have prepared, that they may, in this moment in our exchange here, become the word of life. I pray that your spirit would be with us, uh, that you would stir up our hearts to know you better, to see more clearly what it is you have set before us in our lives, and to give us the strength and the courage to go forth and pursue those purposes. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, this morning God has a word for us. It's a direct word spoken directly to those who follow him. And that word is you. Y-O-U. You. You are the one to whom this text speaks this morning. And I think it is one of the deepest and most profound mysteries of the Christian faith that God even bothers it all to involve human beings in God's purposes. And not just to involve people, but to rely upon people, to rely upon you and me, to rely upon the world, all down through the ages, to fulfill the purposes of God. Why is it that the creator of the whole universe, all-powerful and all-knowing, would speak to some random man in a town called Ur, that he would tell that man that he was chosen by God, that he was blessed to be a blessing to the world. Why would the creator of the universe choose a people, a tiny and often discordant nation of 12 tribes, descended from a man named Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel? Why would God choose those people and say, you are blessed to be a blessing to the world. And why would God, out of that people, not just choose a man, but become a man named Jesus, 
gather to him 12 disciples and many, many, many more followers from the margins of society to the halls of power and say to them and to say to us, I need you. I don't know. I don't know why God would do such a thing. God doesn't need anything, I think, yet God chooses. God chooses humankind over and over again to be the treasure in clay jars, as Paul says, the earthen vessels of God's grace and glory and redemptive power. Why God chooses it this way, I cannot say, but that God chooses you That is fundamentally the meaning and motivation of this message this morning. Now, if we just back up for a moment and and look at the Bible a little more carefully, we see that at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus sends his disciples out on a mission. He sends 70 of them out, not just the 12, but 70 out, and he tells them to go two by two into the countryside because Jesus knows it's important when you're going off on a mission not to go alone. And so he tells them to go and heal the sick, to cast out the demons, and to proclaim the kingdom of God, which is what he's been doing all along. But now he gives that mission to them, and he says, go out and do this. Tell everyone that you meet. That God wants you to know that you have a place in God's heart, that you are beloved of God, and that the heavenly banquet has a a table and a spot reserved just for them. He sent them out. He told them, don't take anything with you. He said, don't even bring an extra pair of clothes. He said, just take the clothes on your back and the shoes on your feet because God has already prepared all of the things you will need. And sure enough, The disciples, they go out, they go into villages and towns, and they're welcomed into people's homes. And they're provided for. They're sustained by the hospitality and the grace of others. Hospitality, that's nothing more and nothing less than the overflow of God's grace into the world. And now, in our text that we heard, that's when they come back from their mission. And they must have had a lot to say to Jesus about all the things they had done because he tells them, come on, let's go away to just a place where it's just us and we can sit down, we can talk, and I can listen to you. I can hear all the great things you have done without interruption. But such was the success of their mission and such was the fame and the renown of what the disciples were doing that the crowds found them. They came Maybe just in ones and twos at first, or maybe a a few at a time. Maybe whole villages heard the news that they had gone to Bethsaida, and they they emptied out and went there. They came, and they came, and they came, until there were 5,000 men, and then all of the women and children with them. A prodigious crowd. They all came to see the one, the one that they had heard the one in whose name the disciples had preached God's love for them. They didn't want to just see him, but again, it says in verse 11, they followed him. They wanted to be his disciples, which is what a follower of Jesus is called. And don't miss this important point. When they came, Jesus welcomed them. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in the middle of a conversation... And someone comes in to interrupt, it kind of bothers me. 
If I'm trying to talk to someone, listen to them, make sure that they are heard and make sure that I can say what I need to say, it's a little annoying when people come to you with their needs and, and their problems and they, and they interrupt you. But Jesus, Jesus shows that, that it doesn't need to bother you. Jesus welcomes the interruption of this crowd into his private time with the disciples not because he didn't care about the disciples, but because he knew that they should understand that just as they had gone out and received the hospitality of others on their mission, now it was time for them to return the favor. He was showing them the way. But as is so often the case in Scripture and as is so often the case in life, the followers of Jesus didn't really understand. It's remarkable how often we treat the problems of other people as other people's problems. That's what the disciples suggest when they see this vast collection of hungry people that Jesus has welcomed. They see the problem, the high cost of buying and bringing food to this deserted place where they are. There's no shelter there. There are no provisions. All those people out there have a real problem, the disciples think, and they think they have the solution. And what do they say? Send them away, Jesus. Send them away so they can get their provisions elsewhere. Send them somewhere else. Make them some other people's problem. I think that's a pretty relatable response. Faced with an impossible challenge of meeting the vast needs of a number of others, to choose to turn away, to send them back where they came from, to ignore their suffering, I, I think we know that feeling. But Jesus heard what the disciples said, and he said to them, You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. See, when Jesus first told the disciples to come and follow him, he didn't mean for them to simply come and listen to him teach and preach, to watch him perform miracles and show the strength of character and moral virtue that he wanted to inspire in other people. Jesus knew that the disciples would not and could not learn simply by hearing and watching. That's why he gave them a mission, why he sent them out. He recognized that they needed to learn by doing. And in this moment, they needed to learn that it was up to them to respond to these people's problem. And of course, Jesus did not just address those words, follow me, to the disciples so long ago, but he addresses them to us here this morning. He has not just a word of instruction for us, but an assignment to place before us. The assignment to respond to the needs of the world and to answer the call when he says, you give them something to eat. I came today because you can't understand the glory of God. And, and, and I really want to hear this today. You cannot understand the glory of God sitting here in the pew. You may get a glimpse of it, you may get a hint of it, but the glory of God and the love of Christ is only known fundamentally and finally in the obedience of Christ's command, in following him out into the world and doing what he tells us to do. Because when we go and we face the problems of the world, we find that Jesus is there with us 
in the midst of the trials and the difficulties and the conflicts and the confusion. Jesus is with us in the deserted places and the times when we feel like we don't have enough or we aren't enough. Jesus is with us. I can do all things through Christ, Paul said. He said it in response to the care and concern of other Christians that he had felt and experienced when they had offered him consolation when he was in a bad place. Whether hungry or full, jailed or free, Paul was certain that Christ was with him. But he was only certain, he was especially certain, because the church had shown him that it was true. And ultimately, friends, ultimately today at this very table, we will be reminded of the assurance of Christ And we will experience it just as his disciples did in that deserted place, surrounded by that vast multitude. I don't know how Jesus fed all those people. There is great scholarly debate about the nature of that miracle. But I prefer to allow it to remain a mystery to me. And it's the same mystery that we come to and experience at this table in the sacrament of communion At this table, we participate in in the mystery that God comes to us to be with us, that God needs us in God's redemptive story of the world. And so at this table, we lift up bread as Jesus did, and we give thanks, and we break the bread, and we share it with one another. It's the bread of heaven, like manna in the wilderness. And we drink from the cup of the new covenant together. Each of us, we all get our own little tiny cup, But it's one long sip of the new covenant that connects us to the disciples even so long ago. And I don't know why God chose humankind to be essential to God's saving story. I don't know why he chose you or why he chose me. I don't understand the reasons behind that. But I do know that in choosing all of us, God has blessed us today to be a blessing to the world. You have been chosen to be fed at Christ's table so that you may feed others. You have been given the gift of grace and the gift of peace so that you may be kind in times of trouble. And you have been given the assurance and the strength of Christ so that you may be responsive to the needs of others, even when their problems seem impossible to overcome. Even when you are scared, you are given the power to be courageous and brave. At this table, there will be more than enough for us. For God is not just the God of five loaves and two fishes, but the God whose love and compassion for this world was so great that God gave God's very self to the world, to the disciples and to the crowd that day. But God is so much a God that there will also be leftovers that day. Leftovers that even today we are still being fed by at this table. Here, we will collect and share together the broken pieces of the bread of heaven. Glory be to God for that grace and that gift. Glory to God for the one who was broken so that we may be made whole. Glory to God for the one who died so that we may live. Glory, glory to God for the one who strengthens us, who strengthens you, so that you may go out from this place to bring glory to God's name.
Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message was a feast for your ears, that it fed you body and spirit. And I hope that you will come back and join us again next week here with Sermons by the Park. To find out more about Union Congregational Church, you can always visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or you can follow us on social media at Church by the Park. The theme music for this week's message is by Carmen Maria and Edu Espinal. It's called Ratatouille's Kitchen. Now from all of us here at Union, God's grace and peace go with you. Ba-ba-da-ba-ba.